Welcome to High Lawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. We pray that you are blessed by the sharing of God's truth for us this day. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. As we continue to prepare our hearts to receive the risen Christ, we're continuing in Luke's Gospel, the beginnings of chapter 5 this morning. So go ahead and turn there in your copy of God's Word where we're going to see an image of commitment as Jesus Himself is now offering a call. The last few episodes of, of Jesus' life that we've been reviewing in God's Word talked about His reception. But as we prepare to see this particular story, Let's remember that the last time that, that we were uh, talking about Jesus, that he had just healed Peter's mother-in-law, or the man who would one day become known as Peter. So he had gone around doing these wonders, doing uh, these miracles of healing, these very powerful images of, of the compassion of God. Now you'll notice that of all the miracles that he does, none of them are done out of malice, even though he has all of the power of God within him. There is no, uh, there is no hatred. There is no aggression. There is no condemnation. What is he doing? He is freeing people from the burden of demons. He is offering them a reminder that their sins can be forgiven. He is healing their bodies. He is demonstrating love in a very unique way, a way that only he could do, but he will challenge the church later on by telling them that through you, greater things than these will be accomplished. Now I want you to take heart in that for a second because he's called each and every one of us into this ministry under the promise that if we are only faithful to that calling, that we will be able to supersede him in what is recorded in Scripture. That seems daunting. Nevertheless, it is the promise of God. And we're going to talk a bit more about it in the, the few coming messages. But right now we're going to concentrate on the commitment of the people of God into the hands of ministry. And we're going to be talking about this interesting uh, story, if you will, where he's on the Sea of Galilee. It, it's called in a lot of your copy of God's Word, uh, I believe it's uh, Glenarhesset. It's the same place. The Sea of Galilee, incidentally, it's, it's, that's a mistranslation in a lot of, of your copy of God's Word. Um, it, it rendered in English because if you've ever seen it on a map, it's a lake. And it's a fairly small lake at that, but one that is teeming with life. When we take a look also, just to talk about misconceptions really quickly, when we talk about the people that he is calling here, when we talk about... Peter, when we talk about Andrew, when we talk about John, we're not talking about uh, the, the poor, the impoverished, those that have nothing. I want you to pay attention as we talk in God's Word because you'll discover that they are partners in a fishing business that owns more than one vessel. And these vessels along the Sea of Galilee, they've actually unearthed one. It's about 20 feet long. And you also hear in God's Word that not only were they partners and had multiple vessels, but they also had hired servants. 
So they were not, when, when they leave their nets, they are not just leaving behind something that is meaningless to them, is what I'm getting at. They are leaving behind an entire business. They are leaving behind their family commitments. They are leaving behind employees. They are leaving behind a substantial income. They are leaving behind their possessions. They are leaving behind everything they've ever known, including the promise of what they saw as a bright tomorrow in order to follow Jesus. Luke 5, starting with verse 1. If you'll read along with me. And I'll be uh, teaching you through exposition as we read throughout God's Word. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genereset, the people were crowding around Him and listening to the Word of God. And He saw at the water's edge two, two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, who would later be known as Peter, and asked Him to put out a little from the shore. Then He sat down and taught the people from the boat. So as he, as he had done these miracles, as, he's, as he has healed, as he has cast out demons, word about his miracles, word about his compassion, word about his love had spread and had ignited within the hearts of the people around the region of the Galilee. A hunger and a thirst for the Word of God. You'll notice in this passage, they're not begging him for any more healings. They're not begging him to do these signs and wonders. They're not wanting the show that has whetted their appetites for the Word of God. They're asking Him to teach. And so pressed in around the Master are they that He's having to improvise a pulpit here by hopping into a fishing boat and having Simon cast out just a little bit so he can have room to talk. The, the pattern I want you to see here is that compassion, when demonstrated, write this in your notes, compassion, when demonstrated, or the love of God, when reflected, causes people in their hearts to hunger and thirst after the Word of God. When we reflect God's love to others, it ignites within them a spiritual hunger that only the risen Christ can supply. Many try other ways by, by other religions, but again, that's similar to a whale eating plastic. It might take up room within their stomachs, but it will not give them nutrition. In fact, it will cause them to starve to death. You are created by God to have a spiritual life. Again, we are body, soul, and spirit. Body being the physical, soul being who we are, and spirit being our communion with, the, with God Himself. When Christ's Compassion was put on full display through his healing, through his ministry of his ministry of just loving people. The cross-shaped hole in their heart was felt, and they drew close to the master to hear what he had to say about the good news of compassion and the hope of God. Let's continue on. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, 
We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. In some of your translations, more literally, it says we have toiled all night and haven't caught anything. But because what? Because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, Simon, this is, this is at Simon's third encounter at least that he's had with Jesus. He's not his disciple yet. He's welcomed him into his home. He's asked him for the favor of the healing of his mother-in-law. He's been there probably following him around. And he's heard his word. He's seen the miracles. But he is still the professional fisherman in this picture. He's still the one who knows the waters of, the, the, of Galilee. He's still the one who has mastery over the nets, mastery over the boat work. He's the one who is a co-owner in this little enterprise. He's the expert in his own field, so to speak. But who created the fish? Who created the lake? Who was the person that sculpted the earth with his hands? So Simon begins his conversation back to Jesus by saying, basically, you don't understand. We've been out there all night. We have thrown the nets. We have thrown the nets. We have thrown the nets. And we haven't brought home anything. We've done our work and we've done it well. And I'm telling you, there's nothing out there right now for us this morning. But, probably with a sigh, because it's you, because of what I have seen you do, and because I've heard what comes out of your mouth, rather out of your heart, I'm going to put my own knowledge, my own experience, I'm going to put all that aside for just a second. And I'm going to have faith. I'm going to take a leap of what? Faith. And he even calls him master here. Captain, Rabbi, because it's you who are speaking, I'm going to put all that aside and we'll go out. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish. You know this story. We've, you sing about this story. In, in Sunday school, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their who? Their partners. Again, this is no small to do. They signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. power of God was now on full display and it was not affecting Peter's mother-in-law. It wasn't affecting the people around Peter. It was affecting Peter himself. And he got convicted. He became convicted. That was personal. This wasn't just a wandering rabbi anymore. This wasn't just a house guest anymore. 
This wasn't just somebody off the street from Nazareth. This was someone that had a direct intervention in Peter's life who became personally engaged with this would-be disciple. He now had a relationship, a back and forth. This was no longer a public display of affection. This was one-on-one engagement. That's how you do mission work. That's how you do evangelism. It's good when you have the the, the big and the open wide and the giant community outreach and you have the outpouring to whosoever will. But the way you affect someone individually is you go to that person individually. The way that you bring somebody to Christ is not that you put something on full display and that with with the smoke machines and the laser effects and that so on, all of a sudden someone becomes so overwhelmed in the, in the emotion of the moment that they come to Christ, it is that someone cares about someone else so much that they journey alongside that person in their darkest hours, that they are there for that person when they are starving, that they help to supply their needs by reflecting Christ's love to them, and that at the same time they do not shy away from the fact that they had that one more need that we really need to talk about. The need for a Savior... The need for a Savior that we all have. For all, fall, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 tells us. But just like the Ethiopian eunuch that we read about in the book of Acts, it wasn't a great demonstration that brought him to Christ. It was one individual, one God-made appointment One frank heart-to-heart talk that brought him the saving knowledge of Christ. When Jesus offers the invitation, yes, there is this, this, this big display of the power of God. But this big display of the power of God is targeted to one person. And that one person realizes the depths of their sin. That one person seeing the power of God focused on him causes a conviction. And he falls on his face before the Lord. And he does what all of us have to do to be saved. I am a sinner. But he reacts with that misconception that we see everywhere. Whether I was at Hurricane or whether being here now in St. Albans, it doesn't matter. Whenever I meet someone and we talk about Christ, I can't possibly go to church there is often the response because I can't go to church anywhere because I am a person you really don't want to see there. I am a sinner. I am someone who has been on drugs. I am someone who has been a horrible human being to my family, to my community. I am someone who is so guilt-ridden that I can't possibly go to church when the truth of the matter is that's the exact person that places like this was built to help. Because all of us are that way. We may not have as dramatic a story as that. 
We might not have as hate-filled a life as that. But all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For none are righteous, no, not one. The church is not a display case for the perfect. The church is a hospital for the soul of the sinner. All of us need the love of God. All of us. And so Peter fell on his knees and told Christ, the light of the world right in front of him, get away from me because I am filled with sin and I am so racked with guilt that I cannot stand to be in the presence of you who are the light of the world. But Jesus does not turn his back on Simon. Jesus does not turn his back on this person. He knows full well everything that Peter's done. He knows every red mark on Peter's ledger. He knows the depth of the depravity that lays within the heart of this person who has now humbled himself at his feet. And that very same person Decades later, decades later, would write this. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is what? He is patient with you. He's writing this from His own experience. Recalling decades later, that same effect, that I am a sinner, I am not worthy of the love of God. But having received the love of God, he can now pin with all conviction and with all confidence that God is not slow in keeping his promises. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to what? Repentance. Oh, the sinful man that I am writes Paul the Apostle in a similar vein. John, his brother in that fishing, his, uh, the, well, his brother in Christ, but earlier his partner in that fishing business, also writes something that we should have memorized by now. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. The power of God when demonstrated before Peter establishing that relationship where Jesus didn't walk away from him, where he stayed right there. And in the truest example of pastoral care that I can, can think of, received Peter's confession, offered him the love of God, offered him a sense of purpose, and reminded him of this very fact that God, despite what we have done, despite the depths of sin within us, God loved us so much that he offered us a pathway to redemption. And it begins with confession and repentance. As John himself, witnessing this event, writes down, he is faithful and just. If we but confess our sins, God, the faithful God that keeps his promises, the faithful God who is the same today as he was yesterday and shall be forevermore, will not forsake his promise, but is faithful and just to forgive you those sins, all of them, and to do a work of cleansing within you that will lead to righteousness. The God, not human, the God-defined righteousness of His only begotten Son. 
The offer is made. Yes, you have sinned. Yes, you have fallen short. But you are still God's creation, made in His image. God wants your soul as an heir to the very throne of this universe. God loves you with a passionate love, a love that gave His Son as a sacrifice so that you could be free from the burden of sin, of guilt, and of destruction. An invitation that once accepted leads us to joint heirship with Christ Himself. Luke pins the rest of the scene this way. He, he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken in, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Come unto me, and I will make you fishers of men. And what was the response? They pulled up their boats to shore left everything. And some of your translations forsook all and followed Him. The life that they had was not a poor peasant's toil. It was a life that the world, in all of its worldliness, for lack of a better term, at that time, would have identified them as being successful for their station in life. They owned multiple vessels. They had employees. They had partners. They had an income. They had something that they were ostensibly good at. Otherwise, they would have had none of those things. More than likely, as all kids in this region, they would have attended synagogue. They would have learned to read and write. They would have learned to do basic mathematics. They would have been taught at their, by their fathers the art of fishing, of rigging, of steering a boat, they would have learned all of this knowledge and had all of these commitments. Peter was married. Chances are the bulk of the disciples were as well. And not to say that they just laid down their marital commitments, but the life that they knew beforehand, with all of its promise, with all of its potential, the life that they knew beforehand with all of its safety and security, with all of their supposed family commitments, the life that they had had beforehand, they now turned their back on to follow Him. How willing are we to do likewise? This is the challenge that this passage of Scripture leaves us with. Paul took a season to make tents to help supply money both for himself and his ministry. That was his job. But even in that time where he was with Priscilla and Aquila, he did not cease being a minister. 
Now, some of us are called to have a, a, a type of ministry that is kind of the counter of that. We have a job that is required of us to provide for our families. But our profession, where we devote ourselves, our skill, our intellect, the bulk of who we are, is this. The ministry of the gospel. One aspect of it is what we call inreach. Making sure that the family of God is the family of God. With all of its commitments and with all of its affection. When you join a church, you're not just becoming part of a program. You're not just becoming part of a club or an organization. You are being, in all sincerity, you are being called by God in terms of a divine appointment to take part in a family of believers. And your reflection and your affection for that church should have equal, if not more, weight than the same affection that you have to your family of genetics at home. Brothers and sisters in Christ, not a program, not an organization, not a club, a family of God. Period. That's the only biblical view of it. There's also outreach. What we see demonstrated here, where there are people in danger of perishing in their own sin, dying amid not only sin but hopelessness, fear, apathy, meaninglessness, a lack of spiritual life, people in the very shadow of this building who need a touch of the Master's hand, a touch that this family called by God can provide. The only question is, are we willing to be obedient, to live in the same, to live out, rather, the reflection of Him who saved us? Paul puts it this way as he's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. Do not be ashamed. No matter what this world tells you, no matter what this government tells you, no matter what this media tells you, no matter what the television shows who are supposed to be entertainment but rather have turned into sources of ideology tell you, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me who identifies as a prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am, because this world who is in darkness cannot stand the light. Just as Peter had fallen before 
the demonstration of God's power because of his own sinfulness, this world cannot tolerate the word of God as demonstrated through the gospel. We see it on TV. We hear it on the news. I can't remember who it was, but one PGA golfer of the year who was taken out on tour with Billy Graham and the president of the United States at that time. And my apologies for not remembering this entire story. But as it goes, this PGA golfer of the year uh, was taking out a bunch of celebrities and was golfing with them. And a reporter asked him, how'd it go? And he said, I wish that that Billy Graham, and he probably used a couple of expletives while he was at it, would keep his gospel to himself. And then he grabbed a bucket of balls and started hitting on the practice field, hitting on the driving range as, as much as he could. And when he was finally exhausted, he goes back to the reporter. And the reporter asked him, you mean to tell me that Billy Graham was out there trying to evangelize you all that time? And he was like, once he had gotten rid of the anger, he said, no. Actually, he didn't really talk to me a whole lot about that. He didn't talk to me any about it, in fact. When people come in contact, people with that sinful stain upon themselves, come in contact with someone who is a messenger of the light of Christ, there will be that moment of confrontation. But Paul is telling us to look past it. Look past the awkwardness. Look past the doubts. Look past the fears. Because he who is within you is greater than he who is within what? The world. If God calls you into a ministry, no matter what that ministry is, if God calls you by his divine appointment to deal with somebody's soul, either through loving them, uh, through offering them the help and the compassion and the charity that is needed, or through confronting them with their sinful condition, if God leads you to it, God will provide the means to get you through. And successfully, God has already purchased the victory for you on your behalf. And you have the promise in Scripture that the Comforter, this comes from the voice of Christ Himself, the Comforter that lives within you, the Holy Spirit of God, will bring to your remembrance all things needed to make an impact when those divine appointments take place. All you have to do is be willing and be obedient. Of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, a teacher. That is why I am suffering. Yet there is no cause for shame. Because I know in whom I have believed and am convinced, persuaded that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. We used to sing that song. question is, are we as much an image of commitment as we know that Peter, that Andrew, that John, that James became? We are his disciples, are we not? In this time, as we prepare our hearts to receive the risen Christ, as we continue journeying with him to the empty tomb, we have to ask ourselves, what is the level of commitment that we have undertaken. For us, is our salvation just a form of insurance wanting to avoid the horror that is, is condemnation, is hell? Or do we love He who saved us 
passionately enough to look past our wants, look past our fears, to look past our comfort zones, and to individually as members of this or any church, use the giftedness, the inspiration, the imagination that He has given to each and every one of us to devise new ideas of reaching out, to living after that old song that says, Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus the mighty to save. To live that ministry and to live another ministry that says, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. To reach to brother and sister so and so when they're in times of crisis, to think of them as precisely that, my brother and my sister. To look at everybody in this house of worship just as if they shared my last name, if not more, because they share with me a greater name, a far greater name, a name that Jesus himself will ascribe to us on that day. If this is not your testimony. If there has been something that has caused you to be robbed of your joy, your security, your knowledge of your salvation, or if you've gathered with us and you don't have that assurance that if you were to close your eyes for the last time on this side of eternity, you don't know for a fact where you would open them. What a beautiful day it would be for today to be the day of someone's salvation. And I encourage you right now, examine your heart. Ask that question. Is this life in Christ everything that he told me that it would be? And if not, have I let something creep into it that should never have been there in the first place? Or do I not have that security at all? Or do I simply have this special prayer burden that has been eating me alive for days now that I need to come down the aisle, bend the knee at the table of God, and voice my petition to Him? and be supported by my brothers and sisters in so doing. Whatever need you may have on your heart, the time of invitation that we're coming into right now is not where we just simply sit in the pew and sing. It's where we lay down our petitions of prayer before God. It is where we make a decision for Him, for His ministry for the offer of receiving His sacrifice, whatever the need is. The aisles are here with purpose so that you have a straight shot to pray if you need to. Don't let that opportunity pass you by. As the musicians come, Heavenly Father, open this hour, this time, in Your presence to any who need a special touch from You. Let them receive the fullness of your embrace. For those that have doubts, for those that 
have burdens for those that simply need a special touch from you. Whatever the case may be, as we lift our hearts to you this morning, judge us, instruct us, draw unto yourself anyone that would be saved. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from High Lawn Baptist Church. If you'd like to learn more about High Lawn Baptist Church or donate to our ongoing ministry, you can do so online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We believe that when you love God, you share His Word, and when you love others, you spread the gospel. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.